0: Greetings and salutations. If you're wondering why he doesn't have a beer, it's because it's like 10:30 in the morning. I so. considered it
1: though, just so you know. He asked. Yeah.
0: I told him it was okay, but he went against it. Now, our storyteller today is Mr. TJ2 the Deuce. That one wasn't Chris. That, yeah, as that crisp was, as yeah the that's
2: that's really quiet. Well, I can't. Uh, you can't open a beer can twice, so we're just gonna have to let that. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> this is
3: true. Yeah, yeah, okay.
2: but, sorry, I'd love, I'd love to. Yeah, that's that's kind of a I'm kind of one take travi on that uh, on the whole beer opening thing. I, I actually can't do it twice.
0: Yeah. So uh, so some news today. So uh, I woke up before Mr. Thrill, and I went to the bathroom as I usually do, and I was scrolling through Facebook to entertain myself, and I noticed that I had a notification.
2: And <laughs> uh, who whom was that notification from? Yeah. Yes. Please tell us.
0: <laughs> it was from Manfred Manzer. Zearthland. What <laughs> <laughs> did he
2: ah! uh,
1: Ah, our federally mandated nope. reference to oh wait no we're no, not there yet okay not,
0: not do it it's seriously guys i woke up and i i usually let will sleep as long as he wants on saturdays because we have to wake up super early but this time from the bathroom i'm just like will get up and he comes in there bleary-eyed i'm like i wouldn't normally wake you up but please look at my phone and then he looked at me and just went well gonna forgive you for this one
1: (laughs) and i I believe the next thing i said was they found us they
0: finally found us it's the jig is up guys yeah yeah manford man i
2: hope you (laughs) i hope i hope you didn't accept uh, whatever invitation they sent you because i I think that's how they get their hooks in for the like legal proceedings to start
0: i'm I'm fine with it. Point, point out one time that we've ever made a disparaging remark about Manford Man. We, we have never, never. We have never, because we love Manford Man's well,
3: band.
2: Here, and for those who are newer listeners to the podcast or don't know why we do that, we noticed at a certain point there were artists who we were not doing shows on who we seemed somehow to mention every week. Lulu was a frequent one. I think Petula Clark came Petula up Clark, a lot. Definitely. Rush. Right. Right. And right, and Manfred Man's Earth Band. And I offhandedly once joked there it is, ladies and gentlemen, our federally mandated Manfred Man's Earth Band reference of the podcast. Ha ha ha. And then without any of us discussing it or it becoming an official thing, we all just started writing Manfred Man's Earth Band into every episode
1: that we we did. Which, by the way, connecting that one to Whitney Houston was quite a task, I will tell you. However,
0: yeah. then you have things like when she was on uh, Ready Steady Go, mm-hmm. uh, Dusty. Dusty was on Ready, Ready Steady Go or Ready Set Go. She, that Bamford man did the introduction to that show. So that was like the most naturalistic one that we have. That, like the that was the most,
2: of- by far, the most, most organic one we've had. That, that was, I've had to really reach yeah. on some <laughs> occasions that was the, by far the most natural and organic one. You didn't have yeah. to change. You didn't have to, you didn't have to reach one inch out of your space for that.
0: Exactly. But I mean, the thing is we do this because we love Manford Man so much. So waking up this morning where they were like, we'd like for you to join this page. And I'm like, fine. <laughs> I actually did. join. It's,
2: it's like a, it's like a private Facebook group or whatever. And the, um the funny thing is we've rarely actually mentioned them on social media much. Yeah. So,
1: somehow or another word has just gotten to them and <laughs> i am frightened but, but what's very interesting is in the emails and correspondence we get from our listeners they often reference manford man yes. and so maybe it's the kind of thing that's it's sort of blossomed out of you know like i said that organic approach to including them in our episodes to to some i, I think pandora's box is open here guys and we can't close it
0: i'm fine with not closing it because i will never deny my love for Manfred Mann. I will never deny my love for any of the people that we talk about on our podcast. And like, the thing is, yeah, I want them to generate more income. And if we can like make an actual dent in their, like make a a dent in their finances, like where they can quantifiably look at their bank accounts go, Holy crap, we've got more sales than we did six months ago. Like if we could, if we could boost that, I feel like I've done something good. (laughs) I I,
2: I was going to say then I'm well, That might be bad because then I'm going to get a huge ego and think like, yep, I'm a (laughs) kingmaker. Black Black Oak, Arkansas, if you you want to boost in sales, you better come lick our boots. (laughs) And we will reference you constantly on our podcast. Taylor
0: Taylor Swift, you want to make some money, Taylor Swift? Right here, right here. Hit us up. this podcast.
2: (laughs) Yep, looking at you, Timex
1: Social Club. Bring it. (laughs) yeah I mean, you know you know Justin Bieber's thinking, I am one rock and roll heaven away from making my mortgage. I mean, <laughs> yep. so before we jump into our episode, we have one other thing. Um, we
2: would like to actually acknowledge uh, another podcast, one that by the time you hear this, we will have um, already been guests on. Would you one of you guys like to kind of expound on that a little bit real
1: quick?
0: well the who who was taking the lead with the contact? so because uh it was the yeah, -aha uh-huh podcast.
1: Mm -hmm. yeah so we got a message i mean this this has been going on for about i'd say six weeks now where the hosts of the yaha podcast have reached out to us and they said that they found us and they were really liking our material and they actually wanted us to do a guest spot
2: and they they said in fact that they discovered us i think while they were staining their deck one weekend
1: (laughs) and listened to like the entire eddie van halen series and maybe the entire whitney houston one too yeah. Yeah. They did. They just jumped right in and they said, you know, Hey, we really like your format. We'd love to, to bring you on. And we said, sure. You know, we'd love to, to join you on the podcast. So we will be doing that. And again, as TJ, you pointed out, by the time you hear this recording, that will have happened already. So do you want to give a special shout out there to Phil and Lisa over at Yaha uh, Yaha Podcast and we're looking forward to it.
2: And, and yeah. you, you, they're easy to find. Just Google yeah, Uh Huh Podcast. And, and you'll, you'll be able to find them pretty easily that way. And we, and we really, really appreciate it. And, um uh, it's it, it was a very cool experience and uh, you guys go check them out
1: yeah and they seem to be like us very into music and they've picked some interesting topics for us to discuss so i'm i'm looking yep. forward to it oh yeah yes, I,
3: I mean
0: you i think you guys are gonna understand how deep the malice goes for the rock and roll hall of
1: fame oh boy yeah I, so. I wish i had the pete townsend interview clip i would play it yeah uh, have you heard that one TJ?
2: I don't think I have.
1: So uh, the great Pete Townsend was interviewing with one of their uh, cronies from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. and Crony is a good word. Yeah, it, the interview is clearly not going well. And the interview refers to the folks as icons, icons, icons. And Townsend stops him. And I'm, I'm going to edit myself on this one for the sake of the content here. And he says, all of your bleeping icons are my bleeping friends. And they're all bleeping dead. And then he announces the interview over and walks out.
2: <laughs> you know what okay now that you say that i actually have seen yeah. that. i didn't realize that's who was interviewing him though. oh yeah
1: yeah it's Pete townsend yep
2: nice very good so okay well we are uh gonna dive right into part three of tom petty part one now and we, we're not going uh we have not gone in order sequentially I- i.e start with his birth end with his death we actually started with the traveling wilburys because that was kind of a part of his career that stood alone and we're all big, big fans of, of the wilburys um and then we did, in part two, early life. So uh, in our last episode, we started with Tom's early life in an abusive home, how he developed a love for music, and founded the band Mud Crutch. They had left Gainesville, Florida for Los Angeles, had gotten a deal with Shelter Records, sucked in the studio by their own admission, and okay. put out one single that totally tanked.
1: Was it the Mike label- Nickville who wrote that in his journal? He was just like, we uh, just Yes,
2: done. we suck. Yeah. Oh, I think we got our single. And yeah. then the next day, we don't have our single. Then the next day. We, uh, we drank too much and didn't get anything done. And then, like the next day, we suck. We totally suck. <laughs> um, now, the label dropped the band but kept Tom and had planned to do a solo album with him. Keyboardist Ben Mott Tench was offered free studio time by a friend studying to be a recording engineer. He put together a little band to cut a couple of songs that he had written. But he invited Tom over to play harmonica and give him some pointers on singing into a, a professional microphone, which he'd never really done before. The day after that session, Tom's wife, Jane, called Benmont. And that's where we picked things up.
1: If you remember, I think uh, up to this point, the band was uh, in residence at a topless steakhouse, correct? Uh, they had <laughs>
2: done a residency at a uh, topless steakhouse called Dubs in which, Florida. Um... They, they had moved. They'd relocated to L.A. They would got a record deal. They put out one single it tanked the uh, label essentially had some like financial problems and said okay well like we really like tom and his songwriting the rest of you guys are uh, fired yeah and i think tom managed to beg and get to keep mike campbell but so ben mont and uh the rest of the band were just kind of cast out and they were hanging around la though and they they didn't have a, a problem with tom or mike they still had a good relationship but so Benmont puts this little band together of mostly Florida musicians who had relocated to Los Angeles. And when Tom heard them, he really, really liked them. So they talked a day or so later. And again, Tom's wife reiterated to Benmont that Tom had really liked playing with that group of Florida musicians that he'd put together.
1: Now, if, we, Tom, if you go back, I remember you had said that the union of Tom and his wife up to this point was a bit uh, rushed, shall we say? It was, uh, yes, I, I believe the term I
2: used was uh, they, they got married uh, quickly, out of nowhere, sort of like a shotgun blast. Huh, interesting. And you could take that in every way that it could be meant. Yes, precisely. <laughs> um, yeah, Tom started to invite the, this group that Benmont put together, basically one member at a time, into the studio with him. He certainly appreciated the talent of the studio mus- musicians that had been assembled to work with him on his solo album, but he wanted to be in an actual band. He finally pitched the idea to Danny Cordell of Shelter Records that he wanted the group Tench had assembled to be his band. And so, with Mike Campbell on lead guitar, Ron Blair on bass, Stan Lynch on drums, and Ben Mott Tench on piano and organ, Tom Petty had his band. The only question was what to call them. Now, Tom enjoyed the group dynamic. He didn't really put himself above others, necessarily. And he didn't really love the idea of being out front all the time, but he was the lead singer. He wrote nearly all the songs. He pretty much led the band, and it was actually he who had a record contract at that point. Now, so, Cordell,
1: Cordell was also known for producing, I believe, the Moody Blues and
2: yep. Joe Cocker. I think. Uh, I believe yes. He he yeah. had actually, and he was really young at the time. He was only thirty right now.
1: Yeah, I think, I think um, he was young when he passed too. I
2: don't think he. He wasn't that. He yeah. was not that old when he when he passed away, which I don't think was a terribly long time ago but yeah he he was he, yeah he's only 30 at this point oh wow and has already worked with some really big names and is a not only a producer but he's a, an executive at shelter records at this point mm. so tom thought of the name tom petty and the heartbreakers there was at the time at least one other band calling themselves the heartbreakers but tom pretty much said screw it and pick the moniker anyway <laughs> And I'm I'm just gonna say um no 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 offense meant to whoever the other heartbreakers were. I think this version was probably
1: a little better known than you. Yeah, considering when you look them up on the internet, they're they're pretty much what comes up. You don't see Yep, that's uh you don't come up. Um doesn't mean you weren't a, a, a fine,
2: lovely band, but um yeah. So the
1: yeah, band went to the, the studio. Me. You guys he pulled the I'm Tom Petty and you're not.
2: Yeah. Co- correct <laughs> so the band went into the studio to record its first album at shelter records in hollywood with cordell acting as producer this was in 1976 which was almost two full years after mud crutch had originally signed with shelter records oh wow yeah so there's a long long passage of time here tom had used that time to learn to listen to a lot of music he'd never heard before with cordell and to work on songs Cordell let them take their time, but the band, Tom especially, paid a lot of attention to the actual recording and producing process. In November of 1976, the self-titled debut album of Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers was released, and the song Breakdown was chosen as the lead single. Mm -hmm. America reacted, and did so with a stunning level of disinterest. (laughs) Breakdown failed the chart on any chart in the United States, and the album sold a tepid 6,500 copies the first three weeks. That was actually a robust pace compared to the next seven months when the album only sold an additional 6,500 copies in the United States. Oof. So you're talking eight months on, they had sold 13,000 copies of their record stateside. And, and it, at a record label that is, a, well, how do they say, frowned upon? Uh, yes, that is frowned upon, even for a new act, I'm guessing. Right. Now, they were gaining little to no traction in any respect. On the road, they were miscast as an opening act for Rush. No kidding. For, for one show. Oh, it only lasted Getty, one performance? R- right. Getty Lee remembered them being nice guys, and he said they may possibly have done a second show, but that was the absolute maximum they ever did. <laughs> they were also the opening act for Kiss for a Single Night and open for The Clash and Blondie. See, it, it seems like nobody knew how to market them. That's what I'm taking away from this. That is an absolutely terrific point that I heard Benmont and Mike Campbell and, and various others make in interviews that I heard. That like, yeah, at the time, people kind of didn't know what we were. So yeah, they're... they're kind of, they're miscast a little bit of Southern rock. They're, some people are calling them uh, New Wave. When they played with like Blondie and The Clash and I think the Ramones, <laughs> they, they end up being labeled punk.
1: Right, yeah. which, they're, which they're, There are some elements of that, but they're very clearly not a punk band. Oh, for sure. And that audience, I'm sure, would be a bit confused by mm-hmm. what they were doing. All of them,
2: in fact, said the music they made is music that they just liked to hear and weren't hearing. Hmm. That, that's what, to a man, every member of the Heartbreaker said. That sound of that first album, we decided to make music that we liked, but that we didn't hear anymore. Hmm. So that, that's if you're wondering what sort of inspired the sound of the first record. Still the band kept on grinding and in 1977 would play 200 concerts. Ooh, road warriors. You're no kidding. Oddly, the big break for this uniquely American band came in England. Hmm. And it came courtesy of the coveted anointment that every musician seeks. That being is the opening spot for Nils Lofgren. Oh, well,
1: if you can count the people who have...
2: Right, who would line up for that. <laughs> oh, now, the, the future East Street band member actually had a, a big hit song in Europe, and he took Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers along as his opening act. Now, that was a big deal for them because they had all been inspired and influenced by the Beatles and the British invasion in general, sure. and they were on the turf of some of their legends and idols. They took no prisoners and were absolutely tearing it up every night. Now, keep in mind, this is a band that's been together and playing for a while, in some form or another, maybe not under the name Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, but they live, they they were killer. That was a fantastic band. One story I read actually said that Lofgren was perhaps not all that pleased to be following them as the tour uh, commenced and continued. The band was getting a huge reaction from fans and began to be lauded in the British press. The band's second single, Anything That's Rock and Roll, went nowhere in America, but it became a surprise hit on the UK charts, reaching number 36. So they had their first hit of any kind anywhere. Interesting. As the tour continued, a third single from the album was released, and in an irony of ironies, it was another top 40 hit in the UK, but not in America. Hmm. So what was the irony? The band had actually been in the studio recording this song On July 4th, 1976, the Bicentennial of America declaring its independence from England. It, in fact, has a variation of America in the title. Mm -hmm. It's probably a surprise for many to realize that though it's now considered a rock classic and an absolute standard that's been played on the radio at this point millions of times, it never charted in the United States. That's insane. Still it is hard to do a podcast on the early career of Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers without playing it. So we're going to do that now. This is American Girl. song that is god i love american girl
1: it, it, again going back to his catalog there were some things that i revisited and i forgot oh that's great you know um if you I, yeah and,
2: and i'm gonna tell you something i had never noticed until i heard it mentioned in some interview that i listened to as part of prepping for this yeah the first the the, the the verses don't rhyme no he's just talking <laughs> she was an american girl raised on promises but don't rhyme none it's of it verse, yeah. let's just go through and read all the lyrics like
1: yeah, like good. Go ahead,
2: Tom. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but it's it's but but it's still a great song. So Absolutely. No argument. Uh very and, and very different obviously. Now, you've probably noticed so far that this series has nowhere near the level of debauchery and wild antics as the two previous ones that I have taken lead on.
1: That seems to be your uh your wheelhouse. I mean, you've Ricky James, yes, that John Bonham, right. Eddie Van Halen. Eddie Van Halen, yeah. Um uh, I I've, I've I've tackled some
2: uh some folks who like to have a good time. Um, but primarily at this point, Tom Penny and the Heartbreakers drank some, and they did smoke lots of weed, that was about it. Yeah. And and that was fun for part of their European tour, i.e. when they visited Amsterdam. Hmm. Not so much when they left there and went to Germany. They were going through customs, and officials found a hash pipe with some residue in it in Stan Lynch's bag. Ooh. So, they pulled the whole band out of line, which was a problem. I can Since remember. bassist Ron Blair had a large brick of hash in his bag jeez <laughs> oh, everybody else had dumped their stuff when they left amsterdam knowing like and hey, we can't get caught with this you know going to going into a, a new country or whatever
1: but lynch but his,
2: eating, i guess <laughs> sure but when his bag was searched tom was sweating it out uh, to be honest but he had no reason to no drugs were found quote he smiled at me his whole teeth were black He's got the whole lump of hash in his mouth, Tom. Oh, <laughs> oh, hell. So producers of a TV show that they were to appear on came and rescued them. Blair was reportedly high for several days. <laughs> but somehow managed to stand upright and play bass for almost 40 minutes on German television that day.
1: Fantastic.
2: Yes. The positive press and reception the band received across the pond sort of jump-started things for them in America. The first album started selling. It reached number 55 on the Billboard album chart and eventually reached gold status. Breakdown was re-released and got to number 40 on the Billboard Singles chart. Mm. In 1978, the band released its second album, You're Gonna Get It. It hit number 23 on the charts, and like its predecessor, it went gold. A couple of memorable songs on that one include I Need to Know and Listen to Her Heart. Now, the latter was apparently written as a middle finger at Ike Turner, No kidding. Yeah, so Petty detailed that uh, once while he was on the road, his wife Jane went to a party with Denny Cordell from his record label where she was cornered and hit on under kind of sketchy, slightly threatening circumstances by Turner.
1: He was a bit bit aggressive, I'm assuming.
2: Yes. Uh, The record label wanted him to change the line, however, of you think you're going to take her away with your money and your cocaine to your money, and your champagne. He refused, and the line stayed intact. It wasn't the last time Tom's drug references would be subject to censorship, which we'll tell much later in the series.
1: Comically um, so.
2: Nor his last battle with a record company, which we'll get Mm -hmm. to very shortly. This kid's is called foreshadowing. Um, We now come to something that turns up about every other episode on Rock and Roll Heaven, like Cheesecake on the Golden Girls and Kenny dying in horrible ways on South Park. Tom and the Heartbreakers were filling arenas. They had two gold records to their credit, and they were broke. And, yep, the record company took it all. There there you go. Like many bands eager for a chance to have their music heard, they had signed a very one-sided deal with Shelter, which included Tom signing away all of his publishing money for $10,000. Ouch. Quote, I had no idea that I'd never make money if I did that, he said. At that time, ABC, which was the distributor for Shelter Records, was sold to MCA. Petty had not signed with MCA, so he felt no obligation to record for them. He resented being, quote, bought and sold like a piece of meat. It was at this point that Tom outsmarted MCA and almost upset the apple cart in favor of artists and against labels Mm -hmm. forever. We're going to talk extensively about his next record in just a minute because it's a great one. But he decided to self-finance it and intentionally ran up as big a price tag as he possibly could. He reportedly spent $500,000 on the album. And what year was this? This is, uh, you're getting to about 78 maybe, I guess.
1: So for those of you playing along at home, $500,000 in 1978,
2: 1978 uh, converted to current day terms of uh, monetary units question. would be
1: what? Oh my goodness. It's oh. For two million
2: dollars!
1: <laughs> wow! So, yeah. and, and and he's and then he's self financing it, and he doesn't have any money. So because the record company, he, he was making nothing off this first deal.
2: Right, but this is this actually turns out to be a brilliant move, as you'll see in a second. Yeah, so I heard about he, that. he he runs up a five hundred thousand dollar price tag on the album, and then he refused to deliver it to MCA. Given his debt and the small returns that he got on sales anyway, and the lack of publishing money that he was getting. It was fair to argue he could never earn his way out of debt or even repay money that the band had been fronted at the outset of their career. So he began bankruptcy proceedings. Bankruptcy laws, for those who aren't aware, basically void any business contract that a person is currently working under as they put their financial affairs in. It, it was an odd time, with Tom saying on Behind the Music, that his lyrics and notebooks were the subject of subpoenas and were marked as evidence. Hmm. He said it, quote, pissed him off that the record labels felt they could do what they wanted and that no one would stand up to them tom said he started to receive what he considered to be veiled threats by the way he later admitted that the strategy quote may have been a sham in some ways but cordell resigned himself to having been quote outlawed by tom fearful that petty would not only follow through on not releasing his next album and would take the matter to court while also inspiring other artists to do the same thing Shelter immediately, and, and I guess at this point it's technically MCA, settled and renegotiated. The band would get a new $3 million deal, and Tom got his publishing back. So did the bankruptcy proceedings just get pulled at that point? Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, they sure did. But, but Tom actually started bankruptcy proceedings, and apparently when you do that, one of the things that happens is um, that any
1: business contract that you're under is voided. So as soon as that happened, I'm sure uh, MCA said it was like, "Wait a second. <laughs> I was I was going to yeah. say the puck. I was going to say the pucker factor in MCA's britches got really, really hot. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I mean, think because, about it. It's a, it's a real calculated chess move on Tom's part. He's because think about the worst worst case scenario for him is he's out of all of his debts. Right. He's still broke. He can't get any more broke. He right. Not- he can't get more yeah. broke
2: than he already is. He's, but
1: he's basically getting government protection from his creditors. Right. Is, exactly. is, is worst, worst case scenario. Yeah, which is the worst case scenario. And for the record company, they basically have an album that has not been delivered, that they can't sell,
2: that right. they can't so make they-
1: money off the touring. So, yeah, wow, what a move. Right.
2: So, so, oh, the, no, so no. It's, you're right. He, so, basically, the move didn't damage him in any way, but it could have inflicted some serious damage on MCA. Absolutely. Yeah especially if, if their entire roster of talent started to take notice of this and did the
1: same thing then they're, they're screwed. Yeah, there's, the, there's the rock hitting the water and then there's the ripples. And I think, yeah, like you said, Tom's statement, which I I think you're going to get there is going to be sort of a call to action to these artists of, you know, wait a minute, we don't have to put up with this crap anymore.
2: Right. Right. And and it's not the first, it's, this is not the last time that he does it either.
1: Oh, it's yeah. It's not gonna be the last as, <laughs> as numerous cases we've covered have cited, you know, this is a sad trend for a lot of musicians that get started. Sure,
2: um, and but however, you know, so he got they got the new, more lucrative deal. But given what was to come, the label was still going to make plenty of money. Don't feel Uh-oh. bad for MTA. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well.
0: Hey T, sorry to interrupt, but we do need to take a short break for our sponsors. And we are back.
2: All right, we're going to dive right back into the life and times of the great Tom Petty. Tom had been very impressed with the Patty Smith cover of Bruce Springsteen's Because the Night. Yes. It was produced by an up-and-coming recording engineer looking to take a step to the big time. That fellow was a guy named Jimmy Iveen, who had worked as an engineer for Bruce Springsteen, and he was a fan of Petty's first two records, and the two agreed to work together. Campbell described both Tom and Ivane as, quote, extremely driven. Quote, bless his heart, Jimmy was on a mission. We were on a mission, too, but Jimmy was just driven. He wanted to make the best record ever made, and he wanted to be the guy to do it, Mike Campbell said. On Rick Rubin's podcast, uh, Tom's daughter, Adria, said that though she was young at the time, she remembers, quote, losing dad to Jimmy Iovine while they worked on the album. If they weren't in the studio working, they were on the phone talking about being in the studio working. Hmm. Almost round the clock. Now, would you like a fun fact? Fun fact i then heard a demo of a song that tom actually intended to give away to the jay
1: giles band and uh-huh. he
2: apparently lost his mind at the idea of the song being given away which proved to be good instincts because the song he insisted tom keep and not give to the jay giles band was don't do me like that no kidding yeah and he which was- i can i can completely hear the jay giles band having cut by the way now you said tom wrote it correct yeah, he wrote it, and he was just like he and actually had demoed it, and he was like, "Eh, I don't think we'll do that one." And he was going to give it to Jake Isles. Wow! And then they stepped in, and they were like, "No, no, 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 no!" <laughs> yeah. Which, uh, first of all, th- don't do me like that's a great song. Oh, but yeah. if you think about it, you could you could completely hear the Jake Isles band cutting. You really absolutely could. Absolutely
1: good. Yeah. No question.
2: There was a kind of sort of ballad that really shows the band's bird influences, and it happens to be one of my favorites. It's called uh, "Here Comes My Girl." Yeah. Even the losers. Louisiana Rain, the songs were incredibly strong, but perhaps the best of the bunch was written in a matter of minutes. Mike Campbell gave Tom a tape of some riffs, ideas, and pieces of songs that he was working on. Quote, the memory I have of it is walking around the room with this cassette playing, and I started to sing to it. And really, right away, I got the tune in most of the words, and it was really quick, Tom said. Most of the lyrics came to Tom in 10 minutes wow the writing was quick but the recording was anything but they did over 100 takes of this song what ivan spent days just trying to get the snare drum sound right they said he'd all right let's uh, let's do it with them in the back of the room no that sucks let's move it closer to the mic no that sucks let's get new. let's just get new snare drums all together no that sucks let's
1: fire stan lynch like this, these were the real things that went on in the making you
2: know, of this this one particular song.
1: I feel like Stan Lynch's job security was very tentative. In terms it, it, of- it
2: was, and we'll it was, and we'll yeah. talk about some of the reasons here very
1: shortly. Yeah. but um, the the
2: recording sessions for this song marked the only time when Mike Campbell said he walked out of a recording session, saying he got so frustrated that he just had to get away from it. So he he literally he left and went to the beach for like two or three days. <laughs> lynch for the first of several times was actually briefly dismissed from the band after several intense arguments with iveen over drum sounds Hmm. even when they were finished with it tom and iveen kept fussing over it thinking that it could have been better but they eventually just had to turn the thing in so it features a great riff from campbell quickly written but excellent lyrics from petty a drum part lynch finally got down i guess to uh jimmy's satisfaction and a very prominent intro from Benmont Tench using a Hammond. It wasn't actually the first single from the album, Damn the Torpedoes. That was Don't Do Me Like That. But that 100-take song will become one of Tom's signature songs. So we're going to hear it now. This is Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers with a top 20 hit from 1980, Refugee.
4: They must have kicked you around.
2: Seems like i've said this for every song we've played in the series but damn what a song.
1: <laughs> yeah and it, it's amazing how you even forget about some of these songs like i said i was doing one of the lists that was just endless torture and i looked at it and i looked at it and i said i forgot the echo album just totally forgot about it great songs on yeah. it totally overlooked it Ugh.
3: yeah
2: yeah, it, it, yeah and, and you'll you'll have that with him this, this tom is a guy and we'll talk about this as we go along you start counting up the number of songs that fall in the good to great category in his catalog and there aren't many people who have more than he does like and i mean like ever in the history of music i believe that um so this album damn the torpedoes was a critical success with rolling stone giving it the elusive five-star review Mm, they don't give it out and and saying it was quote the album we've all been waiting for that Mm. is if we were all tom petty fans which we would be if there were any justice in the world. Wow. So that's pretty, pretty hot, right? I, I would say. So. All music, Stephen Thomas Earl Wine dubbed it, quote, one of the great records of the album rock era. It was certified triple platinum and spent seven weeks at number two on the Billboard album chart. Unfortunately, at that point, it hit a wall, or the wall, to be precise, as Pink Floyd's album kept Tom and the Boys out of the top spot for two months.
1: Well, if you're gonna lose out to anybody,
2: I was gonna say if you're gonna yeah. come in, if you're gonna get to come in second to anybody, I'm thinking Pink Floyd's The Wall is probably nothing to be too ashamed of.
1: Yeah, it's like I'm really good at swimming, but I lost that Michael Phelps guy. <laughs> that uh, that, that, that Phelps okay. guy keeps uh, getting gold, and I take silver. It's like yeah, hey, you know, it's probably okay. I think yeah. you're all
2: right. You're still doing good. Right. They finally, finally, had fully hit the big time, and with that, they earned some very famous admirers. Did Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers? One was a person Petty would ultimately have a lifelong friendship with, but to whom he was initially a bit cool. Stevie Nicks was in one of the biggest bands in the world in Fleetwood Mac yep. and was coming off the success of one of the biggest selling albums of all time, Rumors. Yep. Still, in Tom's biography, she was quoted as saying, quote, if he were ever to ask me to leave Fleetwood Mac and join Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, I'd probably do it. And that was before I even knew him. Wow. When they initially met, though, Tom said, quote, we weren't really welcoming to her. It wasn't like she received a lot of warmth. It isn't obviously that Tom is unfriendly, but the Heartbreakers were a very tight and a very insular group. They didn't welcome in stars or a whole lot of outsiders at that point. They pretty much hung out with each other and their families would spend time together. But that was about it. Hmm. It didn't take long, though, for Tom to see how, quote, genuine and good Nick's was as a person. She said she pretty much, or he said she pretty much, quote, wouldn't go away. (laughs) She not only became friends with Tom, but also with his wife, Jane. She asked Tom to produce her debut solo album, saying she wanted to make something as close to a Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers album as possible. She, in fact, said that she wanted to be the female Tom Petty. That's how big a fan she was. And that's coming from Stevie Nicks. I mean, right. I was, I was going to say, that's not coming from some young, some young up and comer hoping to make their way in the music business. It's Stevie freaking Nicks. Yeah. She'd she made her way by this point. Yeah. Right. Then, so we're talking, and we're talking after Rumors and, and I guess Tusk too by this time.
1: And I believe so Rumors,
2: Rumors is hailed as one of the greatest albums of all time. If and sure. it's one of the top, I think, five or 10 selling records ever, ever in the yeah. history of music. Yeah. So, uh, Tom actually declined to produce her debut solo album, but he did recommend Jimmy Ivine, who in short order was not only Stevie's producer, but also her boyfriend. Now, he asked Ben Montench to help Stevie sort through songs, and he ended up playing on almost every track. Mike Campbell appeared on three songs, and Stan Lynch played drums on a couple of songs as well. So Stevie almost stole the heartbreakers (laughs) for this album she was doing. Is basically what it amounts to. Petty ended up helping out too, and he and Iveen decided next really needed a single for the record, so Tom wrote one called "Insider," and the two cut it.
1: I love that song. Sorry, I just have to. Okay. That okay. Well. Okay. So fu- funny thing
2: that would end up, of course, as you as you know, on Tom's next album. Yes, it would. <laughs> and there are conflicting stories that he ended up falling in love with the song, and he decided to keep it, or that she ended up giving it back to him. She has admitted that Tom was the uh, a partial inspiration for uh, another one of her hit songs, uh, with the idea having sprung from a conversation that she had with Jane Petty when she misunderstood her Southern accent. Jane told her that she and Tom had met at quote the age of seventeen, but Nicks misheard it as edge of seventeen. Ha <laughs> ha! Nice. And Stevie, much later, actually admitted that. The line in Edge of 17, something within him seemed brokenhearted, was something that Jane said about Tom. Interesting. Yeah. So Tom said in a published story by Louder Sound that he felt guilty about taking the song back, that being Insider. So he played Stevie some songs that Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers had cut for the album that would follow them, The Torpedoes. There was one that caught her ear immediately. Quote, that's why I wanted you to write a song. It's rock and roll. That's what you do. Things get a tad murky at this point. Tom was under the impression he was giving her the song, but not giving her the recording, which was a finished song with Tom singing all the lyrics. I then thought the song could be a big hit for Nick's, so he turned it into a duet in the studio. When Petty heard the finished product, he was not enthused. In the Running Down a Dream documentary, Petty said, quote, Jimmy, you just took the song. The retort was, quote, this is going to buy you a house. (laughs) And Ivan was probably right on that count. The song was released just after the launch of MTV, and the video, which featured Nix, Tom, and the Heartbreakers, was a heavy rotation staple. The original version, with Tom singing the entire thing, would see the light of day later in a box set. But the duet, featured as the debut single on Nix's Belladonna album, hit number three on the Billboard singles chart. The song helped propel the album to number one on the Billboard album chart and helped Belladonna go quadruple platinum. Here's that song now, one that Nick's pretty much plucked out of Tom's coal pile as it turns out, Stop Dragging My Heart Around. The the galling thing about that to me, uh, will the thrill is that mm-hmm. that's one that that Tom had, had written and the band had recorded that he deemed not good enough to make their next album.
1: <laughs> yeah, I can't believe it was on the like, scratch track.
2: Yeah, like what? But, like he was like, yeah, here here's some songs that we wrote now that didn't make the next record, and one of them is "Stop Dragging My Heart Around." Now, obviously Stevie adds something, a, a big something, um, but still i mean that's a fantastic song
1: there is a vocal chemistry between the two of them that is mm-hmm. just amazing to hear and it's, i think it's partially the quality of their voice like the tone quality of their voices mm-hmm. just the way they mesh is so unique and so fascinating I, uh i wish they could have done more together i really do
2: well, me too because i think we've pretty much got this one in insider,
1: and that's insider it, right? yeah. which insider is is one of my favorites it was actually almost on my set list from oh, last wow season. yeah okay um but it would be entirely contingent on Stevie making appearances appearance as a vocalist, and I realized that's injecting too many wild cards into the deck, so I had to pull it, but I really love that song, and I feel like it's like a hidden gem.
2: And, to, and Tom has a lot of those. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This general period of time should have been a joyous one for Tom. He had battled the record industry and won. He was finally making money commiserate to what he deserved to be earning, and after a decade of grinding away, he and his band had achieved wild success. It was tempered a bit, though, by the death of his mother, mother during the Damn the Torpedoes tour.
3: Mm.
2: On one of his last visits to see her in the hospital, someone, likely a nurse, who thought that she was executing a nice gesture, had basically covered his mom's bed in news clippings about Tom. In his biography, he was quoted as saying, quote, Even this moment, even this, someone had to corrupt with some reaction to fame or whatever this was. Wow. Adria said he did not t- attend his mother's funeral, fearful that his attendance would take the focus off of what it needed to be, which was her life and memory and her faith.
1: Which is a debate we've had on the show before with David Bowie. Sure, know, I'm trying to think of who. I, Bowie was the most and, prominent one.
2: And he had apparently gone. And I, and I, did, I, I didn't write it down or cite it, but I, I remember reading a story as I prepared for this, where Tom had gone to some relative's funeral. And he had an aunt, like literally, like in the church, asking him to sign autographs to give to friends.
1: Yeah, he. Yeah, you can't. Yeah,
2: Uh, which is a completely inappropriate time and place to be doing things of that nature. Read the room, honey. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) That would be my my take on that. Um, But Adrius also said um, that he just sat and stared out the window. and that, quote, something changed inside him after that. He never really mended fences with his father, though he continued to take his family for visits to Florida, and I don't mean for a weekend or so. I mean for like a couple of months, every single year for the rest of his life to see his brother and his old friends. Adrius said that seemed to keep him grounded and normal. Once damn the torpedoes hit, though, she said there were some changes. There was suddenly a lot of money and fame, and there was suddenly a presence of security at the house, which was a necessity, unfortunately.
1: It. Yeah, sadly.
2: Now, we, uh, we alluded already to the follow-up to Damn the Torpedoes. It actually became the subject of another battle for Tom and MCA. The label was beginning to enter quote, superstar pricing of albums, which basically meant releases by the biggest name- names would see an increase in the list price of $1. Hmm. So the album, Hard Promises, was slated to list at nine ninety eight instead of the usual eight ninety eight. Tom objected on a number of fronts. For starters, he really seemed to have a disdain for the business end of music. Now, he certainly made plenty of money in his life, but Adrius said on Rick Rubin's podcast that he left literally millions of dollars on the table over the course of his career because he refused, for example, to allow his songs to be used in commercials. Right. To, to him, um, that made the music less special. Less about art and more about profit. He hated greed and he saw the move as just a greedy cash grab by MCA. Hmm. He was also mindful of not pricing any fans out of the musical experience. No matter how big he got, his ticket prices were always below the industry average. He bemoaned that if someone didn't draw a line in the sand, then, quote, before you know it, an album will cost $20. Yes. Hold that thought, Tom. Hold that right. thought. Right. Uh, yeah. yeah well, well, yeah, we'll certainly get there. Um, he took his first or, or he took his fight public and was featured on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine, ripping a $1 bill in half. Hmm. He threatened to withhold the master tapes and he threatened to name the album $8.98 if the extra dollar in cost was added. That's hilarious. Love it. He even launched a miniature tour he called the, quote, lawsuit tour to help pay legal expenses.
1: Yeah, because I I had heard that rumor, and I wasn't sure exactly how to tie it in, the the lawsuit tour. The
2: lawsuit tour, yes. He he actually launched that to help pay for legal expenses in this fight. Eventually, MCA relented and agreed to keep the cost at $8.98. He said he was kind of surprised by the reaction from other artists. He figured once he opened the gate, others would come in,
1: quote, but no one ever did
2: of course not many people have tom the the stones
1: that tom seems to have had either to
2: be honest with you
1: yeah he was he was very forthright with this with this book with this battle i mean yeah,
2: absolutely and, and, and on every front yeah. hard promises was was finally released at eight dollars and 98 cents it hit number five on the billboard chart upon its release and it went platinum
1: which is interesting it was because worth, tom came yeah. from you know a, a lower class household he wasn't one of these people that you know had been around money essentially he was broke he was broke he was broke he was broke and then he got money which as we all know can be a formula for for disaster right but you know what uh, from from everything
2: i read from his daughters and his bandmates tom always had the idea in his mind that he was still that poor little kid who was the fan right. who could barely afford records could barely afford concerts and stuff and so he al- he he tried to keep fans especially ones on the lower tier economically in mind with everything he did
1: yeah which is amazing perspective because again we do see cases not only in the music industry but through all industries where people go from zero to millions and mm-hmm. that perspective goes with it you know
2: and, and right and it doesn't often go well but in, in tom's case it, it, it never was never really a problem wow um so anyway so that this album finally comes out after a lengthy delay it was worth waiting for and speaking of waiting
3: you're yeah.
2: the biggest hit off that record. This one hit the top 20. It is the waiting.) <laughs>
1: And we are back. Yeah, how how did we leave that song off? How? That,
2: okay, so we, we're 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 talking as we're listening to that. If you I, I, hopefully everybody's heard our uh, episode one of the series by now about the traveling Wilburys, where I was a complete a hole and came up with the worst discussion point ranking thing we've ever done, and but where you we pretended that the Wilburys were all still alive and touring, and you got to craft you got to craft the set list, and none of and neither Will nor I picked the waiting and
1: we're angry at ourselves
2: because, holy God, that's like the one of the best songs Tom ever did. It's one of the best songs anybody's ever done.
1: Yeah, of that one, my scratch list for Tom was like two other lists on its own. I mean, it was just mm. insane. Ugh. He apparently
2: came up with the chorus for that first and came up with it in like five minutes, and it took him a while to come up with the verses.
1: It's so amazing, and we covered this also in the, the Wilburys episode, which I think the virtue of that one is you can almost listen to it at any point during the series. It's not tied right sure right sure tone. that that's that's yeah. right that's part of part of the reason
2: we did it like that yeah but
1: but i think you had pointed out that in the recording time it was what nine songs in nine days yep yeah i, I couldn't write a, a stanza in nine days that would be no.
2: appropriate for the track and, and you know what really it was yeah. more than nine songs because they're uh you know they did two that didn't make that album sure yeah what mm-hmm. one, one of which if, if for those i mean i'm, I'm not gonna Backtrack and stay on this too long, but yeah. if you've never heard Like a Ship by the Traveling Wilbur, oh, go find it. And tell me how that yes. didn't make either album.
1: I like, I am flummoxed by that. Well, I'll tell you why. You listen to those albums. I mean, it's just the answer is apparent. Again, a great song, but you're yeah. weighing it against other great songs. How do you mm-hmm. decide what stays and what goes? It's impossible. Wait,
2: what what song, right? What song on volume one would you have chopped to put that on there?
1: Yeah, what would have made room? Because I, I can't think of one single thing that would come no, off. No, yeah. not even Margarita, which is kind of vocally is very throwaway-ish, but God, God, I love it. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, Margarita and Last Night are probably my two, quote air quotes here, least favorites. Right. But again, it's like, ah, oh, I still love them.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh. And I think Last Night made your set list, didn't
1: it? Yes, it did. It made it. Yeah, list. so... Oh. I hate everything about that exercise. Everything. Yeah,
2: that was, t- I, I'm, I'm, I, I am a dick. You, you, and and I, the horse hate, you I hate I for thinking on, of sir. that. You and the horse um,
1: you rode
2: in on. And the, and the horse I <laughs> rode in on. Um, okay. So the band was partying more at this point and also starting to fight more. Lynch seemed to be at the center of that being really the only person in the band who would buck Tom on musical direction and the like. He was the Tom band, the heartbreakers, for as long as Stan Lynch was in the band, kind of seemed to have two alpha dogs. Mm. Everybody else was, I guess, kind of followed Tom's lead. Stan was the only guy who would question him and buck him on decisions and stuff, is mm. what it seemed like. Huh. And, and you know, when you're uh, the drummer and he's Tom Petty, you can imagine how that ends up turning out. But we'll get to that after.
1: I don't know, don't underestimate a good drummer. I mean, we've covered a series on this show where drummers have held held. Oh, oh together. for sure. But
2: but when the other guy has his name in, on the band, then you know
1: Yeah. I mean, looking back on it, you are looking at a it's like, come on, come on, Stan. What are you, what are you doing? Right. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Um, Tom said suddenly things like, quote,
2: Who took the last box of cereal out of the dressing room became a big deal. <laughs> Perhaps because of all that. Because he had a new family and he was frankly burned out from constant touring, Ron Blair not only quit the band, he quit the music business entirely for twenty years. Decide, decided instead to open a women's bathing suit store, which I mean there are worse pursuits than that, um, I would say. But however, yeah. the, the the pivot away from music is quite quite uh, quite dynamic, that, <laughs> right? Quite dynamic. So he just he quits music. I'm going to okay, stop playing for Tom Petty and sell women's swim pairs. And a- I'm going to sell uh, bikinis. That's yeah. what I'm going to do. <laughs> so how do you like that? Now, right now in 1981, Tom had produced an album for one of his childhood heroes that being Del Shannon. Nice. As he did, he took notice of his bass player, a guy named Howie Epstein. When Blair left, he invited Epstein to play with the Heartbreakers. Now, Epstein said he didn't remember Tom actually formally asking him to join the band ever at any point. He just suddenly was the bass player and that's just kind of how it was. I saw an interview with someone who was a sound engineer at the time that recollected Shannon being a little upset that Epstein left, but Tom reasoned that Shannon was at that point, and this, this is just an honest assessment, sort of a nostalgia act who was playing smaller clubs and theaters and that his band really was, wasn't getting paid much money at all. Mm. So it was a better opportunity for Howie Epstein. Tom and Shannon would remain friends and they would work together again on more than one occasion. He would make his band debut playing on the 1982 album, Long After Dark. It went gold and it had one of the first sort of concept videos the band ever made. And per Tom's recollection, that anybody ever made. Mm. They actually wrote the treatment for it themselves, basing it somewhat on Mad Max 2. And Tom said that one of the things that was different about this video, now there had been, most videos were just kind of performance clips up to this point. Right. Tom said actually that what were considered his band's first quote videos, he said, we didn't even call them videos because literally we didn't shoot them on video. We shot them on film and it was before the advent of MTV you would basically perform yourself lip-syncing to a song to send to TV programs that you either didn't want to appear on in person or you couldn't make it to. Hmm. Right. This was, this is why Queen made the video for Bohemian Rhapsody because they didn't want to be bothered to (laughs) play on top of the pops or whatever it was. Well, Tom said like, yeah, you know, so if we couldn't make it to this show or we didn't feel like being on Merv Griffin, we would just shoot ourselves lip-syncing to refugee and we'd send it to him and, they would play it like we were actually there in the studio. And and early on, that's the stuff that MTV was playing. So then people actually start treating videos as their own art form. Bowie was, was a very early um, person who, who did that. Um, lovely, yeah. I'm thinking of like Ashes to Ashes and some of his very early stuff that were some of the first concept videos. But Tom said that they made, to his knowledge, the first video that had a prelude. That when the... Even with high-concept videos like Ashes to Ashes with David Bowie, when the video starts, the song's already playing. Like, it starts and the song starts. Mm -hmm. This had about a minute or so intro, prelude, setup that that had nothing to do with the song, and the song wasn't playing. And he said he didn't know that anybody else had ever done that before. Now, he and the band would continue to meet and surpass the bar that they set, but this one was very good. And so is the song, so we're going to listen to it. It was a number one rock song. It hit the top 20 on the Billboard charts. And this, Children, is how you properly use a synthesizer. (laughs) I'm just going to say. Here you go. This is Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, You Got Luck. okay a will another great song absolutely um okay and and what i was alluding to going into the song there anybody who has listened to a lot of episodes of rock and roll heaven knows i don't love synthesizers um, sure. what i don't really what i don't love is when great rock bands allow them to become their sound mm-hmm. there are ways to use them that that that's fine to supplement your sound as long as they don't become your sound and like Rush beard into, into that for a while, and otherwise, I love Rush. Yeah. Queen beard into that for a while, and otherwise, I've loved, completely loved Queen. Um, that's how you use them right there to supplement your sound, but you don't make the synth your
1: sound. It's kind of like the use of CGI in movies. When it's mixed into supplement, it works well. When it takes over, yes. you have a mess. Yeah, Right,
2: you have a mess. So that, that's a very good analogy. Um, 1982 was significant for other reasons than just that song and the album it was on. That year, petty second daughter, Anna Kim, was born. And the record record somewhere in Africa was released by Manfred Man's Earth Band. There it is, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> our federally mandated Manfred Mann's reference of the podcast was satisfied. So satisfied. Again. Our, I our, <laughs> let, me, I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. Our federally mandated our federally mandated reference to our friends, friends, yes, our dear, dear friends, our our actual real, on, our online friends. Does is that, is that, is that creep you? On, on one hand, I am beyond honored that oh. they know that we exist. Like, I, I mean, I'm, I'm being really serious here. Mm-hmm. I'm beyond honored to know that Manfred Earthman apparently knows, or someone in their organization at least, knows that we're a thing and exists. I am flattered. I oh, am also petrified.
1: <laughs> I, I am wondering how I and I really hope that they realize that uh we have never disparaged the good name of Man- Never. Man- no, it's no, no, absolutely it.
2: not. Our our constant references to them were because we really like them. Yes, exactly. And then, and then it just kind of became a running joke. But I mean it's it's not a joke on their about them or because we're Disparaging them in any way, we 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 mention them all the time because we like them.
0: Absolutely, and look at his back. Hey, did I seriously leave when we finished talking about Man for Man we, and we come, come full back?
3: circle? Yeah.
2: <laughs> yep. Okay, so here's I guess will a sort of extended fun fact. Extended fun fact.
0: Extended fun fact? Question
4: mark?
2: <laughs> question mark? Here is a quick and sort of interesting side story from 1984. Mike Campbell was writing more songs, although he still almost always left it to Tom to write the lyrics. Tom said once that Campbell set up a small studio in his house, one that plays kind of a key role in uh, things later, as you'll see, Mm
3: -hmm.
2: uh, that his creativity really started to blossom. So Campbell brought a tape of something he was really happy with for Tom and Jimmy Iovine to listen to. He admits that the version he played for them was, quote, inferior and needed a chord change in one part, but according to Ultimate Classic Rock, was, quote, deflated by their indifferent reaction. And I actually read another story that said Tom was maybe a little cool to it because it was very heavy on synth and drum machines, which they used some, but only sparingly. And they never allowed that to be like really at the forefront of songs so much. Mm. Still, he worked to improve it. And later at the suggestion of Iveen pitched it to Don Henley, who was working on a solo album. He said that Henley listened to it while they sat at a large table. After showing no reaction at all sitting with his eyes closed at the end Henley said, quote, "Maybe I can do something with that." Shortly thereafter Campbell got a call from Henley who said quote, "I just wrote the best song of my life to your music." To which yeah. com- to which Campbell said, "Cool, can I hear it?" I mean
1: and very typically it's all about Don.
2: <laughs> right Don It Henley. required a key change no it required a key change to fit Henley's voice and Campbell said, he actually ended up freestyling the famous solo at the end of the song but that is the story of how mike campbell wrote tom petty passed on and don henley recorded the boys of summer
1: that's crazy <laughs> that is absolutely crazy
2: yeah so that not, now obviously if tom had written lyrics it would have been something other than the boys of summer but that's how close that was to being a tom petty song but the music and was and don, and don the- never being presented with it but the music was all written by Mike Campbell, you're saying? All written all written by Mike Campbell, absolutely. Wow. The album would take a really long time, the next one would, by Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, for the band to produce. Tom, by this time, had built a home studio. So paying for studio time was no longer an issue. Quote, so if you sat there and drank for four hours, who cared, Petty said. <laughs> drugs were becoming a bigger issue, harder drugs especially. Petty said that the group had always kept outsiders away, but sort of opened their arms and welcomed them in at this point. In doing so, some, quote, very bad people came through the door. Lynch really didn't like what was going on, saying, quote, you attract a pretty low class of people when there's enough dope around. Now, this was actually conceived as a concept album about the South, where all the members of the band had grown up. But as the recording sessions dragged on for the better part of two years, that vision got muddied as David A. Stewart of the Eurythmics wrote a few songs with the band that were too good not to use, but were also not in any way consistent with the theme of the record. In the course of recording, Tom listened to the original demo version of a song and realized that it was much better than the the version that they had been working on for weeks and weeks. As he walked from one room to another, in frustration, he punched a wall. He badly hurt his hand in the process. Quote, broke it to powder, he said on behind the music. Five bones broken to powder. Yikes. It would be nine months before Tom would know whether he would ever be able to play the guitar again. Rods, (laughs) pins, and wires had to be used to repair his hand. Mm. Just from punching a wall? From punching a wall, extremely hard and, and probably
1: high on coke.
0: Y- y- I was the say
1: there might have been something else there. well remember we or- talked
0: about like the the strength like the mm-hmm. the drugged up person's strengths right that you feel no pain and so you just push and push and keep on going
2: until yep Badoom. well he punched he punched a solid wall and-, and broke his hand to powder thankfully he was able to continue playing the album southern accents was finally completed and released in early 1985 it got generally good reviews, though it was noted that it was perhaps a bit uneven. And I just want to I, I'm sure there's no chance at all that um, Adria Petty, Ben Tantra, Mike Campbell are listening to our podcast. If you are, <laughs> they've they have since released, which we'll talk about later, um, a, a Wildflowers box set. And we'll talk much more about it. They put out a reimagined version of the She's the One soundtrack. And I heard an interview with Adria, who is one of the, I guess, executors of Tom's estate who said, you know, we, we have to keep going through the archives and see what's left, and there might be some more surprises, and maybe we'll reimagine some more albums. I would love to hear, love, love, love to hear Southern Accents with, as good as, good as they are, There's the three songs that they did with David A. Stewart taken off, and some of the um, little nuggets that were left off the album but turned up on a later box set included. If, that, if you, if you want, if y'all want to tackle another project, that, that's one that I would love to hear. So, like I said, it generally got good reviews. So some did say it was a little bit uneven. The title track, the lyrics for which Tom said came to him as he sat around a piano in the middle of the night, was eventually covered by Johnny Cash, who reportedly said that it should replace Dixie as the unofficial Southern National Anthem. How about that? Uh, It had a big hit single and another high concept video with Don't Come Around Here No More, one of the songs they wrote with David A. Stewart that really didn't fit the vision of the album Tom had. I want to play something else, though, for three reasons. One of those is that it's just an absolutely great kick-ass song, and we'll discuss the other two after we hear it. So from Southern Accents, the album here is a song called Rebels. One foot in the grave and one foot on the pedal. I was born a rebel. Great line, great song. Love that one. It's a banger.
1: It really is. Like you said, that album has some very nice highs.
2: It on. really does. Yeah. Um, and I would love to have heard the, the theme followed all the way through, but I think um, Booger Sugar might have gotten in the way of that one. Yeah. Anyway, I mentioned there were a couple of things about the song I wanted to talk about. First, this is the song that apparently got Tom so frustrated that he punched a wall and broke his hand. Secondly, in the ensuing tour a Confederate flag would be used as a stage prop when the song was played. Petty said at that point that the flag was sort of, quote, the wallpaper of the South, but also said the song was about a character, one who, quote, talks about the traditions that have been handed down from family to family for so long that he almost feels guilty about the war, but still blames the North for the discomfort in his life. So my thought, was the best way to illustrate this character was to use the Confederate flag, and if you really listen to the words, it is not a sympathetic portrayal of that gower of the flag.
1: It's no, really, not. really not. No, it's almost uh, sarcastic. I mean, it, it, yes, it's it is. You know, but
2: especially that last verse. That's where it, it really becomes clear what he's what he's telling you. Yeah. Now, per a story in the Chicago Tribune, he soon regretted the decision to have a Confederate flag on the stage as a prop. Then we're talking mid eighties here. Right. People started wearing flag t-shirts and bringing Confederate flags to shows. One night, someone made the mistake of throwing one on stage prompting Petty to stop mid-concert and explain something to the audience. Quote, (laughs) look, this was to illustrate a character. This is not who we are. Having gone through this, I would prefer it if no one would ever bring a Confederate flag to our shows again, because this is not who we are. He said, there were some cheers and there were some boos, but, He said that pretty much ended the practice of anybody bringing a flag to his concerts. He said it, quote, left me feeling stupid. If I had just been a little more observant about things going on around me, it wouldn't have happened. In 2015, he actually said, quote, I still feel bad about it. I've always just regretted it. I would never do anything to hurt anybody. And I think he went as far as, if you buy like the pack up the Plantation video and stuff like that, he actually a later copy. He actually had it edited out. Did he really? Yeah. Oh wow. To where like you where like you don't even see it anymore. And I think LD would probably agree with me because she, of course she and I grew up, which was a place that flew said flag over it over its statehouse dome until the late nineties, and and then continued to fly it on statehouse grounds until two thousand fifteen. That in the Mid eighties, it was not a controversial thing really, it's, at the time. It became so shortly thereafter. But mid eighties, it was just everywhere, and it was just a thing. I didn't even know what it meant when I was 20 ten or about, eleven years old. Like
0: here's the thing too that that idea of the Confederate flag is wrong. At no point was the Confederate flag actually flown in battle. Uh, the, it's really interesting. There's a, a fantastic video on the history of the confederate flag from the company cracked and it just basically shows you like kent um no that that was never a flag for us like ever and people adopted it and they were mistaken and you know but, I but again but I again
2: you you went to myrtle beach it was on every float i didn't even oh, know yeah. what it meant it was Myrtle, on T-shirts. It was on people's cars. It was just like yeah. something like I was ten. I didn't know what the hell it meant. <laughs> yeah.
1: Myrtle Beach, a fair example here. Uh, that, okay, that's actually yeah. a really good
2: point. yeah that's yeah. so probably a. It's it's Myrtle Beach. It's sort of the a, dirty I'm Myrtle like, is uh, not a good example yeah. of anything. <laughs> but anyway, his intention was different than the way people took it, and so he stopped. Is basically is basically right. what I, I'm getting at. When the band went to record its next album. Petty had a conversation with Mike Campbell that left the guitarist wondering what the future held. He said in an interview I watched that Tom told him, quote, I've had enough. Did that mean changes were in the offing? Was he looking to break up the band? There was more arguing and tension in evidence among the band, and the resulting album, Let Me Up, I've Had Enough," was apparently not Tom's favorite. Quote, the title says it all, he said. I would also say that if we were to rank all of Tom's albums, all that he was associated with, That's probably next to last for me. That one. Um, it's not now even even at that, it's not bad. It's not like Van Halen three or something like we discussed earlier in the year. It's not bad. It's just it's not as good. That one and the last DJ would probably be the bottom two for me. I'm thinking Will.
1: And it's interesting that you brought up Van Halen again because I feel like they're like when you look at Tom Petty, there's I feel like it's almost like grading on a curve. It's like a bad Tom Petty album. Still by comparison to any other album. It's going to be a good album, but uh, Van Halen 3 is clearly the exception. <laughs> uh,
2: yes, a, a, a very notable exception, for sure.
1: Of a great band who has a great catalog with an exception.
2: Wrapping out of Jack turd, Right. The album sold well and had a hit single with the Bob Dylan co penned Jammin' Me, but Tom would soon have much more to worry about than just trouble within his band. On May 17th, 1987, just weeks after the record was released, Tom and his family were starting their day at their California home when one of his daughters screamed that the house was on fire. Petty said as he turned corners, he was greeted by walls of flame. He actually watched his housekeeper go up in flames, though she luckily escaped with burns to her hands and her scalp and, and no more serious damage. He got everyone out and actually had to crawl to safety on his belly as thick black smoke had left a pocket of only about three feet near the floor with clean air. When Tom got outside, he grabbed a garden hose to try to start spraying the fire, but said it melted in his hands.
1: Yikes.
2: By the time Tom's manager, Tom, Tom Dimitriot, Tony Dimitriotis, arrived, he said the house was, quote, nothing but rubble. All that survived was his basement recording studio. His family went to a hotel and were provided with clothes by Annie Lennox, by the way. Uh, wait, wait wait what hold uh, on uh, annie lennox I'm really annie lennox who lived near tom provided them with some clothes
0: i really hope that it was that outfit from walking on broken glass <laughs> <where his daughter laughs> just like sitting That's in like so, like his daughter sitting in a motel six with like that red thing over her
2: head right that that <laughs> that, that, that elaborate hat I just, maybe tom her... could have worn her tom could have worn
1: her tuxedo from sweet dreams i guess yes um he All arrived. At is, like, knock on a hotel door, opens up, it's Annie Lennox with a Mary Poppins bag being like, I got you. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Tom arrived at that hotel in jeans, a t-shirt, and no shoes. Wow. Investigators determined that the fire was, in fact, an act of arson.
3: What? Someone,
2: poured, someone poured a flammable liquid on the back, back steps and lit it. Probably aware that with it being early morning, Tom and his family were inside. So it was both an act of arson and attempted murder. Jesus. Quote, we were shaken by it for years, Tom said in the book, Conversations with Tom Petty. Quote, it's sort of like being raped, I would imagine. It really took a long time. And it was 10 times as bad because you knew that somebody just went and did it. Somebody tried to off you.
3: Wow.
2: He actually had trouble using the word fire in lyrics for some time. He would quite famously write a song about the experience in the not too distant future. The arson case was never closed, but it was never solved either. So they don't know who did it. They still to this day don't know who did it in the Rick Rubin podcast. I've referenced a few times now Tom's daughter, Adria said the tour that her dad and his band went on just days later, opening for and backing Bob Dylan was just the escape they needed. They had no home, So the entire family went on the road. Tom would make some important new friends while on tour, namely George Harrison and Jeff Lynn, that would change the course of his life. Working with them in the near future would likely provide a shot of creative juice he needed after working with the same people for more than 15 years. Touring with Dylan was good for he and the band too. Adria said one of the last things her dad ever brought into the studio to play for her was some recordings of that Dylan Petty tour. He remained incredibly proud of that work. She said, in some ways, the fire actually proved to be, quote, regenerative. A phoenix would soon rise from those ashes, and soon, so would a full moon. Hmm. And with that, we're going to wrap up part three of our series on the great Tom Petty. Two more parts still to come in this one, but as we did each of the first two weeks, I have a little discussion point, a little ranking, a little debate that uh, we do at the end of each episode. Now, the first week everyone hated me because i came up with a, hey wouldn't it be swell if we each did a pretend traveling wilbury set list um i, I mean for that i deemed myself an a-hole I, I mean i haven't spoken to myself in days I, <laughs> frankly i've, I've just it's it was I, I was really put out with myself for coming up with that that hellish exercise uh in futility that that uh, i think will said will will literally never be complete ever
1: no it will haunt me to the till the day I die and then on me a few days after. So,
2: Was it how, was it like five minutes after we finished recording that episode that I texted you and said, I want to change my list. I think it was during the episode. It might've been, <laughs> yeah. it may actually, it may actually have been during the episode. Like I hate my list. I want to change the whole thing. Yeah. So part two, we just had a little discussion about whether or not we felt Tom Petty and the heartbreakers were a Southern rock band, whether they belonged in the Southern rock genre more specifically. So part three as I concocted it, I didn't think it was going to be that
1: difficult. And
2: then, of course, it was.
1: Yes. Yes. This was not as agonizing as week one, but still a chore.
0: I mean, okay. I don't actually, I didn't rank them. Was I supposed to? Did I miss part of the? Uh, I look, I put a bunch of words down on a sheet of paper that made uh, just
2: any, time. just your, just 10, they don't necessarily have to be in order. That I, I, I put, I did put mine in order, but it, it, if you didn't, it's fine. Okay. So, wh- what we're going to do uh, this week is our top 10 favorite tom petty videos now tom petty is not somebody who immediately probably springs to everybody's minds as being a great video artist but he should be agreed especially because he didn't really like videos yeah from what you told me you said you had actually read somewhere that he said he really didn't like them and didn't really care to care for doing them amazing then that he made so many that were so great and memorable that he didn't (laughs) like doing it yeah but he did he was given i think the video vanguard award one year he was among the first to have a video that really had a theme to it complete with a prelude that didn't have anything to do with the video that that and and i'm I'm, we we mentioned it a little early in this episode and it'll come up on my list here in just a minute and then you think about he did some that were dazzling in terms of special effects in terms of just the theme the storylines just everything about them was really excellent he was somebody like uh, david bowie who ld did an an episode on 138 parts i believe it was earlier this year um who really saw making a video not really as a way to promote the record that was out at the time but hey this is an opportunity for me to make a cool little piece of art so that's what i'm going to do with it and he seemed to subscribe to that theory
1: yeah maybe that stemmed from the not wanting to make Quote music videos in the conventional sense. Maybe he was like, "Well, since I dislike what's coming out, I'm going to go do something completely different." So
2: right. So uh, that's the uh, assignment for today. Now we have uh, only one write-in. Now we asked our friend and Nelope to participate in all these, and you. But you said that with this one was she just? I guess just isn't a big video watcher or something. I,
1: I think the message she wrote was something to the effect of, "I don't feel I know the videos well enough," which is a fair assessment.
2: Sure. Sure, um, that's fine.
1: but um, so I, part- I would.
2: I would point out um, that her contributions to the first two lists were, uh, were outstanding.
1: Yeah. I'm still giving her an A for the assignment.
2: Oh, absolutely. She still, she still gets an A. And then, but now we do have
1: uh, a one write-in. We do from our uh, Floridian listener, Mark, who has contributed a few times. Okay. He, He did create a list for us. Now, I don't want to tip my hand on the number one answer, but his first list he submitted to me was Don't Come Around Here No More written 10 times. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> so now I should, I, now I do, there's one little caveat I got to throw
2: in here. So yeah. I'd made my list. Now it was 13 songs long, which was not the assignment. So I had to do, I, <laughs> had, to do I failed, had to do sir. some agonizing. You failed, sir. You failed yourself. I had to do some, you I had to do some whittling. You I had to get, take a few off. You lose, so, you get nothing. Good day, sir. Good day, sir. But then we'll ask a good question. He said, now, this can include uh, Traveling Wilbur's videos, right? I had not thought about that. So if you included Wilbury's Petty Solo, Petty with the Heartbreakers, Mud Crutch even, then that, that's perfectly fine. I, I simply, to make the assignment a little easier, chose to just focus on either Tom Petty or Tom Petty and the Heartbreaker videos, because this turned out to be more difficult than I was expecting anyway. And to be honest, there's at least one Wilbury's video that would have to have been in there, maybe two, and and honestly one mud crutch video wow if you i don't know if you've seen i forgive it all or not with featuring sir anthony hopkins but it is a fantastic piece of work the end in particular is the the, the end is the end is (laughs) jarring yeah it's weird really strange it's 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 great in its simplicity and at the end anthony hopkins just screams at you pretty much uh and it's a great song so i I would definitely find a place for that one so I, i just kept mine to just tom and Tom and the Heartbreakers, however everybody else want, chose to do it, is, is totally cool. If you went with Wilburys, went with Mudcroach, that's fine, too. So uh, who, who wants to tee this bad boy up first? And uh...
0: I think Mark should go first, then Mr. Will, and then I'll go, and then you go. Okay. Very well. Well, Because it's just starting to the left.
1: Yeah, we just move our way
0: we over, move right? Move our way over. So we Back started.
2: And to the left. Back. <laughs> wow
1: and to the left
0: he can do this for an hour now. oh I, I believe it he's done it
1: so we have from jacksonville florida here is the list that mark has put together okay no, number 10 running down a dream
2: Should great video know. absolutely
1: number nine a bit of a surprise pick here jamming me huh all Yeah.
2: yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, that's that's a very hot
2: uh lots of digital effects am i remembering right if if i remember I, I, that was, i remember it being very attention grabbing when it came out in 1987 it would probably look it's one of those things that at the time it looked really cool and now you would just go like eh, well you know
1: <laughs> right did it age well not so sure um i won't back down at number eight okay yep
2: well there's that that features what george is in that one ringo's in that one yes Yeah. Beatles and Ringo. Ringo drills a giant hole in planet earth and looks inside it. And doesn't, he he sees himself playing
1: drums. I know in the mind of Ringo. Uh, Number seven, you got lucky. Okay. Number six, one of my personal favorites into the great wide open.
2: Uh, uh, That's that's, I
1: have, I have that a little bit higher
2: on my list, but they've got an undeniably great one.
1: Uh, We're now in the top five. We kick that one off with free fallen. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like yeah, for obvious reasons. Number four, Walls. I love that video. Love and you love the
2: movie. song, do you, you? And you equally love the song.
1: Correct? Absolutely, it's fantastic. Yeah, top to bottom, great pick. Number three, you don't know how it feels.
2: Another great one.
1: Number two, Mary Jane's Last Dance, which I know is a, I think a perennial favorite by most. I,
2: I think that's 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 got to be near the top of almost anybody's list. I would think
1: absolutely and i feel like i spoiled the ending but number one is of course don't come around here no more yep wouldn't have been which
2: is which is like a really weird acid trip but but like but like a good one not not like the one my friend had that time where the dragon chased him down his um college uh, dormitory hallway
1: that sounds unpleasant
2: (laughs) real thing he says happened
1: hey don't do acid kids who's next Uh I believe that's my list, which I am looking for. I thought I had it here. Give me a second. Well, how about I go and then you go?
2: Yeah, go ahead. And I'm really and see now this is I'm really interested to hear your list, LD, because this is this is your field. Yes. I mean I mean acting, uh cinematography, you know, special effects, lighting, acting, directing, like all, all this stuff. I mean, I'm I'm interested to hear how you parse these out as opposed to everybody else. As somebody like me, who is not uh, learned in any of those things, and is just a big fan, so.
0: <laughs> well, my first one is actually a performance video. Um, okay. It's it's Here Comes My Girl, which mm. is, you know, is one of my, my favorite songs by him. It, it appeared in my list of just the Tom Petty's on that godforsaken thing that you made us do. Right, uh, But it's a performance video, so it's, it's parceled together from like road shots and like just him messing around. So there's not anything, you know, it's, not, it's not, not visually captivating, but there's just no through line when it comes to stories. But it's still Tom Petty with his sweet, sweet teeth. So there's that. Uh, okay. Another one, like in the same vein, is Keep a Little Soul, which I Ooh. really like. Uh, my next one is Running Down a Dream. All right. Uh, I won't back down. Sure. Free fallen. Mm-hmm. Into the Great Wide Open, which was one of the first ones that I feel like he actually started tapping into like a full story with Eddie. And then of course you have, you know, who's the star of that music video.
1: Johnny Depp, right? Yep.
3: Yep.
2: Yeah. So- and, and and that the, the funny thing is, is when he made that video, the the video concept was considerably longer than the song so yeah. if in the video version yeah there's actually sort of kind of filler music kind of plugged in here and there courtesy i think mostly have been my uh attention on the organ and i think they actually repeat the chorus like an extra time because the video is like seven or eight minutes long and the song is like four minutes
4: long. Yeah,
2: to keep the song going that long like they had to pork it up a little bit
0: yeah, they do that a lot of times as like we were watching the video for Love is a Battlefield, mm-hmm. and they did the same things. They would like loop the intro so that she could have that dialogue with her parents. Right. And so like they'll they'll do that from time to time. So you can work in story arcs as well. So it's not it's not that weird, but when it comes to like actual storytelling, I think that uh that artist had really started to hit a stride and, and understand that you're not just like, here's a performance video. It's like, he, I can create an entire story. Think about mm. like, when you're thinking about Michael Jackson, you might think about you know a concert that you went to if you were lucky enough to go to one of his concerts. But in the end, when you think of Michael Jackson, when I say Smooth Criminal, what are you thinking
2: of? Him doing that Lane thing? Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: the music video, you're thinking about the gangster. i think about
2: the music video. And um, I saw an interview with Tom where he discussed this video. He said that people, there are actually people who approached him about making a movie out of it,
0: because it's a great story. Yeah. it's yeah. it a great story,
2: and it's a great story song too. And that, then the video goes along with that.
0: So the uh, the next one I did shouldn't be a shock. It's Handle Me with Care because yeah. yes, it is a performance video, but again, it's it's got the great Roy Orbison mm-hmm. in it, and it really does have that great trade off of vocals. So I, I and- do love it.
2: And it, and, it, and it has basically the equivalent of like the Beverly Hillbillies jalopy with that <laughs> sweet traveling Wilburys emblem on the door. So how can you go wrong with that?
0: Exactly. So my next one is, you don't know how it feels because I am a sucker for a rotating chair.
2: <laughs> okay.
0: And, uh, okay. So it was, it, it legitimately came down to one thing between my number one and my number two. Okay. My number two lacked one small thing in the department for me, which okay. was the cinematography for Don't Come Around Here No More was not as clean as my number one. Now, okay. Don't Come Around Here No More is an excellent music video. Mm. It's got the theme of uh, Alice in Wonderland and he's the Mad Hatter and it's the creepy cake at the end. Oh, and it's so good. I love it but it does lack the cinematography and the mood of last dance with mary jane or yep. mary jane's last dance yeah right. i have seen it written both both ways but the the story points in last dance with mary jane are awesome, and if you know anything about stories, it's got a little bit of great expectations. Hmm. Um, It's also, there's a Bulgarian film that it's based on, and you know, Kim Basinger to this day thinks it's like one of the coolest things that she's ever done. (laughs) And she said Tom Petty is such a sweetheart that she loved working with him. So for like, it seemed like everyone involved, this was a great thing, but like that blue palette, the perfect lighting, The fact that she looks, like, as he's walking through the cave and he's carrying her out, like, it's such a great visual image of someone who tried to do something, failed, and now has to let her go.
2: Hmm. And there's some, there's a, this is a small thing to pick out, the, the, like, silhouette of the house he walks out of to take her body to the beach. Yeah. It almost looks cartoon like,
3: yeah.
0: And it, it might have been. It could have been. It
2: may actually have been, but it was just. It was. It's really dark and creepy <laughs> as hell, but yep. just in in a wonderful way. I agree with you.
0: But I see. I see it as sort of like Tim Burton esque almost.
2: That that's well, kind of what it, that's kind of what it reminded me of for sure.
0: Which you know, we, by the way, that you know, the, the house was a. I don't think it was a real house, like the house that um, Johnny Depp lived in in Edward Scissorhands. Oh, right. On the, yeah. I think it was a miniature. So it, it was kind of reminiscent of that, or like, uh, oh my gosh, what is the house's name in Citizen Kane? Oh, the mansion? Yes, oh, God, it's got a so... name. And then why can't I think of it? All I can think of is Tara. Uh-huh. <laughs> that is not it. It's like Great Expectations. It's like Cold Moon, but it's beautiful. And for me, that's my number one pick for my Tom Petty videos. But anytime okay. i get to look at tom petty this is like i understand that my husband is sitting next to me but he also knows who he married and i'm a little thirsty for tom petty
1: yes and the, the mansion was called xanadu
0: thank you yep. xanadu did you just look that up
1: nope you liar <laughs> <laughs> it's not like i have a device that has the <laughs> collective knowledge of humankind in my hand right i was
2: gonna say if only there was a, if if only available at your, at your fingertips was a device uh, it could give you access to the collective knowledge of all mankind s- since the uh, beginning of time. Um, yep. We you should, we should get to work on inventing that.
1: <laughs> did you know the answer to that? Nope, but my phone did.
0: <laughs> don't ask Travis about anything that isn't Tombstone <laughs> or what's the uh, uh, Shawshank Redemption. You or
2: uh, Office Space or Half-Baked. Uh, uh, yeah, I can help you with those. Otherwise, I'm, <laughs> I'm
0: <laughs> I can't. You know what? Of all of those, the one that wears me out the most is Half-Baked. Yeah. I don't know why that just... It just doesn't seem like you, my brother.
2: Why? It's it why it's hilarious.
0: Oh, I love it. I love Bob it.
2: Bob Saget I standing you. up at the at the um oh, meeting or whatever the hell. It All is. right, yes.
0: Let's not go into that. <laughs> family show, family show. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you can watch the film for yourselves.
0: Yes. Yes. Please yeah. do. It's hilarious. Yes. All right. Then so. I,
2: I have a few well, others.
1: But
0: mr hickey do you have your list uh,
1: i do now, although it's,
0: it's not going to be as good as my list because my well, list is awesome
1: well i feel by this point my list is well trodden upon however i do have a few things on there that i think will surprise a lot of you now okay call us the lot yes huh. you're now, getting you're getting too big for your braces <laughs> yes i'm gonna be demoted because you
0: know you're calling yourself a presenter you're calling us the lot
1: oh well, it's a it's a, a term of endearment. Now let's start with the obvious <laughs> choice at number 10. And again, TJ, I did bring this up with the full intention of adding it to my list. Handle with care. I've never been so interested to watch five guys play music in their garage ever. That's, that's the, the best example. Not gonna argue. Uh, mm-hmm. I'll follow that up with one that will not surprise you given the uh, status in which I hold the late George Harrison. And that's, I won't back down. I mean, sure. continue that theme. Now the next few may surprise you. I went with none other than All you right. and me.
2: With, with, which, with which now?
1: You and me. Huh. Okay. I don't which, know if I know that one. It seems on the surface a very simple video, photographs, concerts, and whatnot, but it is directed by his daughter, Adria Petty. Interesting. Yeah. And I think it's a very nice familial touch there, which is why I am including it on my list.
2: Mm-hmm. She's she's a, a pretty well-renowned uh, video director.
1: From what I understand, oh. yeah. He, she, but that is obviously one of her, her earlier... Work. I
2: think she. I mean, she's done like stuff for Beyonce and Coldplay and several really big names.
1: She carved a name for herself, including chewing out. Was it Rolling Stone who released the article about? Thompson. I think
2: that was younger daughter Anikim. Oh, okay. I think that was anakin that uh, that tore them two or three new ones. Yes.
1: All the same, a daughter of Tom Petty basically ripped them a new one. Right. Yeah, and deservedly so. Absolutely. Uh, my following one is, I'm putting on the list, it's a bit New York-centric, and it's one of my favorite songs. That's You Wreck Me. Oh, good song Oh,
2: good one.
3: Yep. yep. Good, good,
2: good. And I, I, Now, I don't pick up on, on things like this myself, but I remember someone saying it was actually intended to be kind of an homage to Steve McQueen movies.
1: Yes, the way it was cut together. And it, it's basically a concert footage video, but the way it's pieced together has that sort of feel to it. And... I believe, now I'm going to watch it again and, and you guys can check it out for yourselves. I believe there is an appearance by Dave Grohl as the roadie.
0: It would not shock me. Dave Grohl
1: Probably
0: is, is, is the more I learn about Dave Grohl, the more happier he makes me.
2: And he's yes, of, and, I'm, and I'll tell you that uh,
1: Dave uh, features
2: prominently in our next episode, actually.
1: Very cool. He, he oh, is man. one of the celebrities I've had a chance to meet and everything you've heard about him that's nice, I experienced. He is very gracious um going into rounding out the bottom five i put walls love that song love that video i view that as the tom petty goodbye video even though it came out years before his untimely death
2: yeah and it features about a two-second cameo from jennifer aniston
1: that it does yes mm-hmm. <laughs> so now we're into the top five which will surprise absolutely nobody i'm just going to list them out here free Fallin', running down yep. a dream sure into the great wide open absolutely when it came to one and two you're right it was basically a coin flip like uld but i did put mary jane's last dance at number two and don't come around here no more as number one (laughs) it's it's just a great video i mean it is if i ever want to feel like i've done drugs and not do them i'll watch that video
2: all right well Mm -hmm. uh so my list i actually have some that are a little bit different than uh what everybody else picked. now i have some that are so they're they're so universally wonderful they're going to be on everybody's list and i have a couple of those uh, i want to throw out one honorable mention that being learning to fly that's um, a good one
3: that is a good that's
2: one. just um it although t- toward the end it's like it, it turns into like a really really horrible acid trip like my <laughs> aforementioned friend running from dragons down the hallway at uh, clemson university because um, you know like he goes into that room and th- then there's like footage of the kennedy assassination and there's a ufo and there's a lot of weird shit happening <laughs> but uh anyway honorable mention to that one uh number 10 i have swinging oh um I, I don't actually i really don't know what 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 in the world is happening in that video there's like two people like <laughs> you know what i'm saying in a hotel room and then the two guys in suits bust in and throw the guy out the window and then the girl's in a car and she wrecks an angel saver and tom's drinking coffee and playing a harmonica
1: it is pretty bonkers
2: yeah right. yeah i was just i don't i i i have i would love for for ld if she's never sent to watch it and tell me what the hell's going on because i really I, i'm clueless it's minimal, uh, but it's I interesting it's, and i like it yeah um no number nine this was a, another one nobody had uh I'm, I'm gonna go with you're so bad oh, it is okay. one of the rare one of the rare funny videos that holds up because a lot of times songs that are funny and throwaway-ish and videos that are like it's a fun watch once, and then you've kind of seen it. I can keep watching that one, and it remains entertaining and funny.
1: Mm-hmm. It's 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 a good one,
2: and it's a fun, and it's a funny song too. I mean, it's not it's not a weird owl, you know comedy song, but it's just a very humorous song that I've always really liked. A little gem from the um, Full Moon Fever album, but I've got that one at number nine. Uh Number eight, I put "You Got Lucky." That was the one where they kind of broke the mold, actually putting a, a prelude on a video where, where apparently nobody had ever done one before. And that was kind of the the what launched them in in terms of being video artists, because that was like a treatment that were, it was basically like reenacting Mad Max. Yeah. <laughs> I think. Uh, next, I've got Running Down a Dream animated, uh, but it's a great video. I think it was on everybody's list. Free yeah. Fallen is next. For a lot of reasons, this is the one time you'll hear me know something like this. At LD, are the costumes good? It seems like they are.
0: I would say, on a production level, they're not for
2: 1989.
0: Bad. They're not bad. The okay. thing is, I'm I'm I got really spoiled. So when uh, I was working on Mad Men, which is ab- about the same era when you're looking at this, is the 50s, mm-hmm. and the 60s, and to be era appropriate, they're not terrible. Now they. They We lovingly on the set of Mad Men refer to them as the cones. And it doesn't look like they're wearing era appropriate bralettes. Um, so I would say for that, they get a point knocked off. But to have the variations of a, a swing skirt and a pencil skirt is irreappropriate. appropriate However, it doesn't look like era appropriate It looks like it was made in the 1980s and... Made yeah. with different, it was made with different um, fabric, so it moves differently than it would have. This this moves a lot more flowy than it would have in the nineteen fifties and sixties.
1: Yeah. To me, it almost appears like the much happier antithesis to the Black Hole Sun video.
0: Okay, that's that's kind
1: of a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: If you could just not bring that up,
1: which terrifies for me. LB.
0: I hate that video so much.
1: <laughs> She's so scared it of it.
0: So <laughs> scary look i know it's
1: it's creepy it's a creepy video it is
0: super creepy that that okay so like black hole sun paired with the fact that we were reading revelations in bible school (laughs) was not a great thing because i was just assuming that the world was going to end while i was like eating a cheese sandwich or something
2: okay but anyway that i've got that one at number six that's, that's always been a favorite number five you don't know how it feels I love the one camera thing. And I I love the fact that you have to watch that video a lot of times to pick up on everything that's happening behind Tom. Yes. <laughs> there's like and- a bank robbery going on and there's like an insurance salesman doing his secretary. And there's all, kind of, <laughs> there's all kind of, there's all kind of debaucherous behavior going on behind Tom during that one. Uh, these last four were really hard to rank. I'm going to put, don't come around here no more at number four. Oh, um, wow. Wow. Uh, LD, I've already alluded to it—the the eat the, the her turning to a cake at the end and them eating her and her and you know Alice and the the Tom's teacup and he's throwing sugar cubes at her. The reenactment of Alice in Wonderland is very, very cool, especially for when it came out. It's
0: I just I love the the ending when she is the cake and it's got the vocals doing the ah yeah. to her yelling. I just there's something that was so morbidly melodic about that that I really don't. It's
2: disturbing. The very, very tail end when Tom burps. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The the very end after they've already eaten her and he burps. Oh it's so unsettling. It's just and the video in the um, video is Okay, I'm, I was a little bit surprised nobody else put this one I've, at number three. I've got it's good to be king. There's something about that video that, even though some of the things it presents are kind of silly, it there's a there's something about it that's really sad that I can't really put my finger on.
0: It's you. Well, you have the same. There's all these about.
2: representations. There's there's kind of there's all these representations of people who, in their minds, are kings, right? that's part of how I look at it and there's the real creepy part with that preacher with the big collar and the little girl he's touching a little too much and yeah there's like an Elvis impersonator and there's a statue of Jesus in front of a trailer park and it's just like a lot of really weird imagery that some of which if you remove the song you would kind of almost chuckle at but then there's something about it in the context of that song playing behind it It just makes it incredibly sad
0: now that's the one that's in sepia tone or black and white right
2: um no it's it what's it's not it's not black and white.
0: Is it sepia like that more burnt color?
2: Okay. maybe some parts of it are yeah okay you have to you have to go watch it but yeah but it's it, anyway it's just I've, I've always loved that song and i really like the video too
3: yeah uh,
2: I, and my last my last two have been mentioned by everybody number two i've got mary jane's last dance <laughs> um it was very this was tit for tat for me to, for which one of these was number one for all the reasons that you guys have already mentioned and the number one into the great wide open uh, i think that is just a spectacular piece of storytelling it's almost a miniature movie it's got Johnny Depp. It's got Faye Dunaway. It's got China Phillips. It's got Matt LeBlanc. It's got Terrence Trent Darby for crying out loud. <laughs> and I love how they keep cutting back to Tom, and it's like he's the the wise, all-knowing storyteller that's reading you a book or something. There's some which which seems very much like who Tom Petty actually was as a human being. <laughs> yes, yes, true. Um, but anyway, I just I, I I think that is just it's it's a an absolute masterpiece, and that I've got that one at number one.
0: Excellent. Well, how do you feel about yourself right now for making us do this?
2: I don't hate myself nearly as much as I did um, in the first part. <laughs> I was I my my opinion of myself has improved. I was really down on me for making us do that.
0: Never make me do that again. I swear, I will hop on a plane and punch you right in the nuts.
2: I would almost rather you fly on a plane. Arrive in South Carolina, knock on my door, punch me in the nuts, then turn around and fly back to California. Then make that list up again. <laughs> I would oh, rather cool. you spend all that money on airfare. I'd rather take one to the junk for the team, so that that's we're all spared the pain of having to tackle that 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 maddening exercise ever again.
0: Never do that again.
2: Yes, uh, and we'll uh, have we have two more parts of this one next week. And and as I told you when we started, we don't really go totally in sequential order of his life so um tom will leave us in the next episode but it's not the last episode that's all i'll say but we have one more song we're going to play in just a minute after ld kicks us the socials
0: all right so if you think that we're doing a fantastic job and you'd like to throw a coin to your witcher uh you can do that at patreon.com at patreon.com backslash rock and roll heaven You can find us on Twitter at rock and roll LT. Our Instagram is rock and roll heaven LT. We hang out a lot out there. So if you want to have a good time, we're uh, mainly on Facebook and Instagram. Our Facebook is rock and roll heaven pod. Still not saying our website. And you can email us at rock and roll heaven LT at gmail.com. Please reach out. uh, Let us know what you guys are thinking about the episode so far. Uh, Engage with us and, uh, and let us know, you know what, what your choices would be for any of our discussions we're very interested in seeing if some of you guys take on that first one like we did before. And, uh, you know, just to shoot ab- us an email. Or- yes, ab-
2: absolutely. That part of the reason we do this is because we would like to know what your opinion is of our list, or we'd like to see, you know, what, what you would put together. So absolutely. Please send email them, post them on any of our socials or, or whatever. We'd love to hear from you.
0: Yeah. And, uh, make sure while you're at it to check out all the other awesome Pantheon podcasts at pantheonpodcast.com. And just so you guys know, I am still casting for American Idol. So if you want the opportunity to uh, be the next idol, just shoot me an email at, the next idol casting at gmail.com. Sorry that we have Gmail uh, emails right now. We're not fancy enough to have an IT department right now. So that's what you're getting. So if you would like to apply for American Idol, send me that email and we'll get you started on your journey. And that's it. That's all I have to say. Oh, I guess I can say goodbye so from all of us here at Rock and Roll Heaven, all of you out there in Radio Land, just remember, the light at the end of the tunnel may be you. Good night. The
2: light <laughs> at the end of the tunnel might be my bullet. It could
0: be. Come on, I was it's quoting Aerosmith.
2: <laughs> We're not doing an episode on Aerosmith. Yeah. No, they're still alive. All of them are still alive. <laughs>
0: Well, anyway, I love you guys. Have a great week. We'll catch you on the next episode. Mr. Will, would you like to say something to the audience?
1: Absolutely. Thank you for being awesome. Thank you for our write-in contributors. And thanks for listening. We'll be here on the next one. Join us.
2: Big <laughs> thing that we're podcast. doing.
1: It's It's a podcast.
2: okay yes um hey so uh we got one more song we're gonna play we're actually gonna kick it all the way back to the beginning of tom petty's um career at shelter records we mentioned that the first single he put out was breakdown but we didn't play it when we did it because i wanted to play it now but i don't want to play the version that was on that album i want to play the live version from the 1985 pack up the plantation live album because it features a great tom petty quote that being you guys are going to put me out of a job.
1: Your Petty is almost as good as your Dylan, but not quite. Yeah.
0: Or I yeah. thought it was doing Dylan. I was doing Petty.
2: <laughs> so we're going to sign off from rock and roll heaven with a live version of Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers Breakdown.
4: Your eyes give you a word, And something inside you pretty good i think you know I, i'm living up this like a man you know it's an adult situation i'm gonna handle it like an adult you know so if you want to leave you go you got your life i got my life i do if you want to go it's just oh.